0: We pray, Spirit of God, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in this world-shaping, life-shaping teaching of Jesus. May it be as though Jesus himself were among us, teaching us this morning. We pray it, Father, for your glory. Amen. Remember a few weeks ago... Nate Morgan Locke came and spoke to us. A lot of you heard him in the morning service. In the evening, he spoke about how lots of the stories that are loved the world over take their inspiration or their shape from the story of the Bible. Lots of the great plot lines of history come, really, from the Bible, ultimately, because God is the great author. Well, here's a plot line that has captured the imagination over the years, It's the plot line, the story of the king in disguise. There are various fictional stories of the king coming in disguise among the people. But of course, it's the real life ones that we enjoy most. I think it would have been... Well, did you remember the story? Some of you will know it of King Alfred and the cakes. Remember some of If you know your early English history, he was there, the king of England, um, well... He became the king of it. He united the squabbling tribes and converted this, brought this together into a country, England. And uh, But there he was, incognito, in, in a lady's house, and he was told to look after the cakes, and he burnt them, and she told him off terribly. But he was the king. She didn't know. Or what about, I like the story of V.E. Day, after the war, when princesses uh, Elizabeth and Margaret went out among the crowds incognito, no one knew who they were. Or the other stories I love is when the Queen was up at Balmoral, and we would just go walking, or the Queen Mother up on the north coast of Scotland would go out walking, and, and uh, people would meet her and say, oh, we hear the Queen's in residence. And she would say, oh, yes, I do believe she is. <laughs> she was the Queen! You see, it's fascinating, it's a lovely idea, isn't it? The King, the Queen, the monarch in disguise. And this text this morning, the parable of the sheep and goats, is actually the ultimate story of the king in disguise, the king incognito, as we're going to see. So it's Advent, the fourth Sunday in Advent, we're looking ahead to the second coming of Jesus, of course Christmas is in our minds, but let's focus on this second coming for the fourth Sunday in Advent now. Um, The story here is, it's known as the parable of the sheep and goats, actually it isn't really a parable. It's more of a vision. It it, it really belongs to the same sort of visionary um, uh, um, writing as the prophet Daniel, for example, or the book of Revelation. It's really a prophetic vision of the coming of the Son of Man. Just look at it, if you've still got it open then. It's a good idea to have it open if you can. Matthew 25, page 1089. Look, the first phrase there... When the Son of Man comes. That's our theme. That's what it's about. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus. When the Son of Man comes. What? What when the Son of Man comes? Well, here's four things that we're going to pick out this morning. Four things to cover what happens when the Son of Man comes. Well, lots of things happen when the Son of Man comes. But this story focuses on four things. First thing, he will sit on his glorious throne, and the Son of Man comes. He'll sit on his glorious throne. There it is. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. I don't know if, this, if a couple of reasonably sized people could go and collect the throne there from the um, from the the, the vestry. So, all right, Todd or an, and Daniel, could you just go grab it, please? It's just there, and um, it's the chair that the bishop's supposed to sit on when the bishop comes. Um, But it's the grandest chair we've got. So uh, if you could get that, um, the the throne, we're going to have that in the middle here. He sits on his glorious throne, okay? Now, the... There we go. Thank you very much. So he sits on his glorious throne. So the first coming, we remember Jesus coming in his lowly manger. The second coming, he sits on his glorious throne. Now, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to... The book of Daniel, because this is important to understand what's happening here. The book of Daniel and chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, which you'll find on page 979 in the church Bibles. Page 979, and you'll see what Jesus is really talking about here. 979, the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And uh, Daniel is seeing a vision, a terrifying vision... ...of these different beasts coming out of the sea... ...which are all representing the nations of this world... ...and uh, they're the abusive, the um, tyrannous nations of this world. But they don't own the future of this universe, not at all. Because look at verse 13. So, in my vision... This is Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man. Recognize that? The son of man? One like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed he will sit on his glorious throne, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes, he will rule on his glorious throne. That's the first thing. When the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his glorious throne. Here's the second thing. Back in Matthew 25, we need to keep Daniel 7 in our minds because it informs the whole of this. What's the second thing? The second thing, so he will sit on his glorious throne. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. He will preside as the global judge. He will preside as the global judge. Well, look at it. It says it there, doesn't it? It says, verse, 20, uh, verse 32, all nations will be gathered before him. All nations nations. So I've got all nations here. Um, anyone in church this morning from from um, the Americas? I think there's some Brazilians in church. Give us a shout if you're from, from Brazil. Oh yes, thank you, little Brazilians. Anyone from the continent of Africa here? Anyone? From, oh yes, some Africans here. We got some, We haven't even got a full church this morning. Any, um, any Europeans? <laughs> okay. Oh, <yes. laughs> Um, any, anyone from New Zealand? Oh, yes. Anyone from Australia? No, we don't let those in. Um, okay, so all nations will come before him. Um, all nations will be gathered to him. And um, when it says all nations, we get the, the Gospel of Matthew, if you know the Gospel of Matthew, you'll know that the, the Gospel of Matthew is more focused than the others, particularly on... Jesus fulfilling the promises to the people of Israel. And the focus is very much on Israel, yet the scope is always global. Always. So you get this great statement here that Jesus, all the nations will be gathered before him. What about, what's the very last bit of Matthew's gospel? I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus saying to his disciples, commissioning them to go and make disciples of all nations. The scope is global. And so, on that day, there will be the Brazilians there, there will be the British there, there will be the Bulgarians there, there will be the Germans there, there will be the French there, there will be the Australians and the New Zealanders and the Chinese and the Indians and the Saudi Arabians and everywhere. They will all be there and we will appear before him, Jesus. That is what Jesus is claiming. Jesus is saying, I will preside as the global judge And not just of the judge of those people who are alive at that time, he also says elsewhere, in John chapter 5, for example, that he will raise all the dead of the whole globe and its history and will preside as judge over the whole of humanity in its entirety. Now, and people say, "Jesus, Jesus was all right, actually. He was a good teacher, no more than that. Well, he can't be. If he's not actually telling the truth, he is so deranged as to to defy belief. He but if he's telling the truth, if he is the Son of Man who will preside on his glorious throne, to whom the nations will be gathered, and he will preside as judge. I have another prop here. He will preside as judge. And this is a third thing we're coming to. So, he will, when the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his glorious throne, he will preside as global judge, and he will separate one from another. I've got here a... Um, what are these called? A hammer and a... Is it a gavel or something like that? I can't even remember the name. I ought to know that, really. What are, what are these called? A gavel. a gavel. It is a gavel, is it? Oh, that's right. Okay, so, he, so the judge... It's final. It's done. It's not an auction, by the way. This is the court. His decision will be final, and he will separate. Well, it says there, the picture is of a, where's my Bible? I put it down. Here it is. It says he will separate, where is it gone? All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, so let's put this here on the chair, and we need to remember the shepherd, so it's the shepherd, isn't it, but it's the shepherd king, look, you see back there in the, ch- in the church there, there's two, um, they're called the sticks, like wands, one's got a bishop's hat on the top, a mitre, which I personally think no self-respecting minister of the gospel should ever wear, but anyway, they do wear them, um, but what about that crown there? Someone, could someone bring me that wand there with the crown? Doesn't matter who it is, just someone, someone bring me. Oh, Diane's got it. Because Jesus, when he separates, yes, it's as the shepherd, but it is as the king. The shepherd king. The shepherd and the king go together in the scriptures. Thank you very much. Um, all the way through, the theme of the shepherd and the king, they come together. So he rules, you see there's a little crown on top of that. He rules as the shepherd and the king, and he separates the sheep and the goats And so the the sheep right and the goats to the left. I know that you're, as you look, I'm doing it the other way around. This is my left and uh, very confusing. Anyway, he separates the sheep and the goats. The sheep on the right and the goats on the left. So that is deeply, um, uh, very different to what we would think. Very uncomfortable with that idea in a culture today which, for lots of good reasons, in some ways, is very big into, you know, just accept anything. There's, there's a good side of that. I'm not, not denying that. It's, like, it's right to be tolerant and open. But there is a judgment. And there is a separation. And that's really what got the early Christians thrown to the lions. See, if the early Christians had come out and had preached a message saying, hey, ancient world, we've got a really helpful idea for you to believe, for you to find self-fulfillment in life. Believe in Jesus. And, and um, well, they wouldn't have upset anybody, but they would also have been selling Jesus short. What they actually said was, God has raised Jesus from the dead, he has appointed him and seated him on his throne, he has given him authority over all the nations, he has appointed him as judge, and one day, he will separate all of humanity and everybody, whatever they think, whoever they are, will, will fall one or other side of his judgment. That was the message. And in the meantime, before that happens, there is a window of opportunity to put your trust in this Jesus and to meet your king now as your saviour so that you do not meet him then as your judge that was what they proclaimed. That's why they got thrown to the lions because they didn't just say, oh, this is a private truth to believe if it's helpful for you. They said, this is public reality that everybody needs to side one way or the other. You see? So this is all that Jesus is saying. He says a lot more as we're about to discover. But that's there. When the Son of Man comes, let's make no mistake about it. These things remain true, always will be true and always have been. That Jesus... Is that going to stay there no there we go I'll put it over there like that that Jesus when the son of man comes he will sit on his glorious throne the nations will be brought to him he would preside as their judge and he will separate the sheep from the goats now here we come to the next bit this is where we come back to the king incognito Here's the fourth thing. What will he do on that day? He will provide first-hand eyewitness evidence for his verdict. This is where we come back to the king in disguise. So on that last day, Jesus uh, is there on his throne and uh, separated. And he, the reason he separates, he says to the ones on the right, he says in explanation of what's happened, he says to them, When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you uh, visited me. And the sheep say, what? (laughs) What do you mean? We never did that. When did we see you hungry and thirsty and in prison or naked? When did we see, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, these brothers of mine, you did for me. And it's exactly the same, but the opposite with the goats. He says to them, you, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me when I was hungry, you didn't give me something to eat when I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. And they also go, what? And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Right, okay, now, before we go into what this is about, let me just try and outline a couple of things. There's, there, people get in a terrible muddle over this, in my view, about this, this story. A couple, let me just clear up, I hope, a couple of things, th- three things, in fact. So the first one is to, do with, um, is to do with the way Jesus reveals himself. Some people say, ah, Jesus is revealing himself through the poor and the needy. No, that's not true. That can't be true, because, remember, the poor and the needy, were, 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 the, 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 these, the sheep served the poor and the needy, but when the, poor, when the sheep are told that you were serving Jesus in the poor and the needy, they were like, oh, we didn't know. So Jesus was not revealing himself through the poor and the needy. So that's a mistake that, that often gets made People when, in, in church circles. That's not what's going on. Jesus is not revealing himself through the poor and the needy. No, he's doing something else. He's actually revealing us. He's exposing us in our reaction to the poor and the needy. You see, it's completely different. He's not unveiling his own self through the poor and the needy. He is showing us, ourselves, through our response to them. All right, that's one thing. What about another thing? salvation. How are we saved? You see, you read this and you think, oh gosh, I thought we were saved through trusting in Jesus. Doesn't it say here that we're saved through, 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 through doing good things for people? Maybe that's something you thought as we read it. Well, I think the answer to that about has got to be, no, absolutely we are saved by trusting Jesus. But as we trust in Jesus, there will be evidence if our trust really is in Jesus, if our love really is towards Jesus, then there will be a love for other people that wishes to serve them. And if there isn't the love that wishes to serve other people, it probably shows that there isn't the faith in the first place, in Jesus. You see, all this about, um, you know, you fed me, you gave me... This is the evidence that Jesus has been gathering. And on the last day... It's the evidence which is produced to justify the verdict that he has come to. So all these things, feeding the poor and the hungry, that's not the grounds. That's not what pays for the salvation of God's people. No, that's the blood of Jesus shed once for all on the cross. That's his resurrection from the dead. But there will be evidence. There must be. Is there no evidence? Then is there a reality? underlying the faith that we claim? That's the question. So, there's various misunderstandings. Do do the poor and the needy reveal Jesus in a particular... No, they don't. rather, Our response to the poor and needy is Jesus revealing what we're like on the inside. Is it salvation by good works? No. These are the evidence of a real relationship with God. And um, then, another thing is is who are the poor and the needy here? Who are the ones who are in prison and the, the, and, and the naked and the hungry and the thirsty? Is it all the poor of this world? Well, again, we've got to be, I think, just think this one through carefully. Jesus' phrase that he uses is he said, he, said, um, he says to them, he says, The king replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When Jesus uses that phrase in Matthew's gospel, he is referring to his disciples, his followers. Those are these brothers and sisters of mine. So, the, the, the first reference is not to all of the poor, but particularly to those among his people who are hounded, persecuted. It was great that that we have, as Desi prayed a moment ago, our focus on the persecuted church today. For example, them. Although, don't worry, I'm going to come back in a moment. I'm not saying that we should um, forget the poor in general. Not at all. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, because, in fact, of course, many other places in the Bible do say, no, we must care for the poor. But particularly the reference here is to Jesus's brothers and sisters. And after all, Jesus is so identified with his brothers and sisters. Do you remember what... If you don't remember it's one of the most wonderful stories um, of the conversion of a man called Saul. He became Paul, who wrote the, uh, many of the letters in the Bible. When Saul was on his way, he, was a per- he persecuted the church. And he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And Jesus af- uh, confronted him in a vision. And you may remember Jesus' words to Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But, hang on, Saul was persecuting the church, God's people. Ah, but... Jesus is so identified with his people... That if you tread on his people's toes, you tread on his toes. Why do you persecute me? What we do for the least of Jesus's brothers actually that reflects really what our hearts think about him. So, just a few things in this story, and you will hear them over the years if you if you if you listen to Christian teaching elsewhere or um, have heard this preached elsewhere. These sort of issues often are, I think. Slightly muddled, but there we go. What does it mean? Well, let's go back to the king in disguise. The king in disguise. There was a minister, a, a vicar. He was a right character. And uh, his name was William Grimshaw. And he was vicar of Howarth in North Yorkshire, which is the town the Brontes came from. Eventually, if I don't know if you've ever been to Howarth. It's a bleak place up in, um, up in North Yorkshire. Um, anyway, Grimshaw took no prisoners. He was, an abs- he was, he was the real deal. As a, in terms of a minister, he, some, of, but some of his pastoral methods were a little bit unorthodox, let's just say. So there was a woman in the church who was blind and was rumoured to be incredibly godly. And so, and I, but can I just say, I would never do this as vicar of this church, but Grimshaw did. I'm not recommending this as pastoral practice, but Grimshaw thought, right, I'm going to see how godly she really is he suspected that she may have been a bit of actually a rather crabby lady who put on a front so grimshaw went to her house and he and, and she was scrubbing the door um, step and grimshaw sort of went with a with a stick and just sort of poked around like this and she absolutely lost her temper who's doing this Arr! and then grimshaw said it's me, it's William Grimshaw, your vicar. Now I see that you're not quite the woman you present. <gasps> see, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but he was out gathering his evidence. Jesus is out gathering his evidence. And that is a sobering, and very inspiring thought at the same time. Very sobering see, I don't know whether we would honestly dare turn our back on any poor person, knowing that Jesus is at large. The same one who will sit on this throne is now at large, incognito, in disguise, particularly among the poorest of his own people, but not only, how will we treat them? He is gathering the evidence. So it is sobering, because you think, oh, gosh, i sure, oh, oh, Lord. Our sins, that the old term is our sins of omission. So we're familiar with sins of commission, that's when we actually do things that are wrong. What about sins of omission? That's where we omit to do things that we should. Oh, Lord, please help me. It's sobering, isn't it? Very sobering. But also so inspiring. you look into the eyes of that person with advanced dementia, or that person um, in the grip of a mental illness that is dragging them down, or someone who you know, has been is homeless and on the street, or whatever. Would you, how would you treat Jesus if he walked in now? Would you honor him? Would you want to serve him? Would your eyes, face, light up as you saw him? Would you want to welcome him? I would, you would. And so it's inspiring to think when we meet that person, that person in their need, wherever they are. In fact, when we meet anybody, that we treat them as though welcoming Jesus himself. I think that's inspiring. It's so inspiring when you just think, oh, I just can't be bothered. No! Let me treat them as though they were Christ himself. And because, after all, that is what happens when someone comes to a real living faith in Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ comes into their lives. And what comes out? Christ-likeness. That's that's the good news, is that God takes people who are not like His Son Jesus Christ and makes them like His Son Jesus Christ by His own love, and by His own power and His own grace. And so that's where it starts. Do you? Th- I think there's a hymn that says um, that talks about you know uh, it's a prayer. Um, o, o thou who camest from above, it's actually asking the Holy Spirit. O thou who camest from above to impart this heavenly fire. Kindle a fire on my heart, a fire of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. In other words, the cold, hard, mean altar of my heart. Light a fire there, Lord, and make me love like Jesus loved. And so that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He's saying, be ready for my coming. And the disciples say, how be ready? And he says open your lives to love, to love with real service to one another. I'm a hypocrite standing here talking about it to you lot as though I've got this sorted out. Of course I haven't. We're all learners in the school of Christ. But let's advance as learners and move forward in it, embrace it. And uh, where do we look if we think, oh, I'm cold. I'm, I'm, I'm even angry with people who... Seem to be poor for whatever reason. That can happen. That can happen. There's all sorts of complex reasons why that can happen. Lord, let me think, though, about you and your love. We love because He first loved us. Let's focus on what He has done for us in sending His Son Jesus at Christmas time to be in the manger, to then die on a cross, and then rise from the dead to give us this new life, all contrary to what we deserve out of his sheer love and grace. And let that change us this day and this Christmas time and always until we stand before him on that throne uh, confident in his love for us in Christ. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, this passage has things in that are sobering and inspiring. Do a work in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and show us, show us how we, in our own situation, can extend Christ-like love to everybody around us, particularly to those who need it the very most. We ask this by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit and in the glorious name of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.